you saw the title, How God's Law Affects Sin. Last week, uh, or was it the week before, we had Brother Friesen here last week. Um, we looked at a couple of points about the law. We looked at the dominion of the law, how that the law has dominion over you. And that is that consequence of breaking the law because you're a lawbreaker. I hope nobody's here is proudly saying, I keep the law because you have not. You've broken it. And, and if you're not born again here today, you're still under the dominion of that law. And that means you're under that consequence. The law not only is given as a moral uh, standard, but there's a consequence for not meeting that standard. And that's death. For the wages of sin is death. And so if we think that we're somehow going to get to heaven by keeping the law, well, you're going to find out that you're not good enough to keep the law, nor good enough to get to heaven, and you will face death. Death is not just physical, it's also spiritual. It's also a, second, a separation from God himself after we take our last breath on this earth. And so we want to make sure that before that happens, that we break that dominion of the law over you. And that's by receiving Christ as our Savior and letting him take that place of death for you. That's why he had to die, so that you don't have to die. Amen. You don't have to be separated from God forever. And so that's important. We looked at also the duration uh, of the law, um, as long as you live. And using the example of marriage, and once, once uh, the husband or wife dies, and you're free to marry another. And so because Christ died for us, now we're free to marry Christ and to live that life of freedom and receive his righteousness and face God based upon what he has done for us, not on we are doing for him. Amen. So I, I was looking at this passage, what I had left here, and I, I came up with something I think that's important for us to see here in relation to the law. And that's how the law affects our sin. And when I'm saying that, the sin that is in you, because you have sin in you. And the law has an impact on that. And I want to just bring out a couple of things today in relation to that. And I'm going to go through this in, in um, kind of in sections. I don't want to read the whole thing. I want to read it in verse by verse as we go through each point, just so I don't lose you on this. But I'm going to start, my first point is this. I want to talk about the deliverance from the law. And I know we already touched this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I thought, felt it was important to touch this again. In Romans 7 verse 6 it says, now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. And so delivered means that that has been rendered inactive. So that whole power of the law over you has been rendered inactive. You no longer are under dominion. So when you've received Christ as your Savior, no longer do you have to be concerned about the death that breaking the law uh, requires from you. Amen? The law does not give life. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly it does not. The law will take your life because you're a sinner. And unless you are perfect and you've always been perfect and you're, you've somehow escaped from being born through Adam, uh, you might qualify if you're perfect. But I know simply because the fact that we came from Adam and our DNA was tainted in him, you were born doomed as I was. And so we were under that dominion. But it says now we are delivered. We're delivered. 
and we're delivered through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary in dying in our place. Death is permanent. Death is complete. When he died for us and died in our place because of the transgressions of the law, that completes it. Uh, It's interesting. I think about this sometimes when you have capital punishment. You see these criminals and they go to the, the, uh, the death row. Sometimes they can be there for 10 years and you know, you got to give them time and energy and you got to feed them. And you know, there's interviews that people do about them and there's all these things that go on because they're still living. <laughs> but the day they meet their maker, the day they die because of the death penalty, you hear no more. It's over. It's complete. It's finished. The law, basically, they have their book that talked all about this person, oh, there's nothing more to write. (laughs) It's complete. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ died for you, all those things that were written against you, all those laws that, that had you nailed down, it's almost like it means nothing anymore. It's gone. It's just like we've been put to death. You know? We only exist in the memory, <laughs> you know? And that's important because we need to understand that we are delivered. We are delivered as, as children of God. And it goes on to say, I'm going to bring in a couple of things we're delivered from. The first thing is we're delivered from motion of sins. Look at verse number five. It says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So motions of sins is really the affection or the passion of our sin. So basically what it's saying is that when we were in the flesh, so those three words, in the flesh, before you were saved, you are in the flesh, which means that is what you are. What you did was based upon what your flesh wants. You may think you're in control, You may think you're getting what you want, but in all reality, everything you do, everywhere you go, every decision you make is because the flesh that is in you. You are in the flesh. There's no option. You really have no other way to go. You're just simply going to live in the flesh. That means you're going to react to things in the flesh. Pressures in the flesh. (laughs) Good things are in the flesh. The blessings I get, uh, even though I don't deserve it, I get them in the flesh. And I process them in the flesh. It's quite something because all kinds of good things happen to people, but as soon as it gets into their brain, all of a sudden it becomes bad because the flesh gets at it. See, the motion of sins, you're delivered from that. You know, what kind of sins are these? You look at bitterness. <laughs> bitterness. You know, all the things that happen to you in your life, things that people do to you. Now, you can't expect to live in a world that is tainted and corrupted with sin and everybody's going to treat you good. Or do you expect that? And we say, yeah, that's the way it ought to be. Well, that's the way it ought to be, but that's the way it'll never be (laughs) in this world. You will always have a potential to have somebody hurt you. Every week, Every day, every year, I mean, for you to think anything other than that is for you to just basically have your head in the sand. 
you're going to be hurt. Now the flesh, in the flesh, this is how the flesh responds. I hate that person. That person deserves a punishment for that. I don't know why they're not getting punished. It's not fair, da-da-da, goes on and on. And everything you feel from that point on, every hurt you have, every emotion you feel is because of that person. Holding them responsible for the way you feel. That's an absolute lie. You know that, right? (laughs) The way you feel has nothing to do with what anybody has ever done to you. The way you feel is based on how you process what has been done to you. That's why when you're not delivered from that, when you're in the flesh, the only thing you can do is blame others. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. (laughs) Oh, it's the woman you gave me, God. That was a double whammy. Because she says, it's the woman's fault. Then God, it's your fault. You gave her to me. That's what we do. It's their fault. It's your fault. The woman said, the devil made me do it. That's the only answer you can have in the flesh. Because you don't know how to process this. You don't know how to process hurt in the flesh. The only thing you can really do is be bitter. (laughs) Really, the only thing you are in the flesh is selfish. The Bible tells us in Hosea 10.1, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth uh, fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. Idol worship, all that, based on selfishness. That's in the flesh. The deceitfulness in Hosea 10, verse 13. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Deceitfulness. Thinking somehow you're in charge here. You, you got it under control. <laughs> you know, that's in the flesh. That's in the flesh. Carnality, corruption. What about Galatians 5, verse 19? Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You know what lasciviousness is? That's really where you've gotten to the point where you're no longer ashamed of the sin that you commit. And you openly are proud of it. You you turn on the news. What do you see? We're living in a time of lasciviousness. This is a time where people will just blatantly uh, glorify the sins that they're doing. And if you say they're wrong, they'll just attack you. (laughs) That's in the flesh. That's what you've been delivered from (laughs) when you're in Christ. It goes on to say idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. By the way, witchcraft, folks, isn't it strange how witchcraft is tied to your flesh? You know that if you have flesh today, you have, the, you have a potential to get involved with witchcraft? <laughs> like when you were lost, I don't know about how many of you watched horror movies. There's a there's an innate desire in our flesh for horror and witchcraft. You see that movie about witchcraft being advertised? Oh, because that's in your flesh. (laughs) 
So witchcraft has come from your flesh. <laughs> so when you've been delivered from the flesh, in the flesh, you've been delivered from that. And praise God for that. See, you ought not be watching horror movies. There, and I understand, in your flesh, even as a believer, there's still a little thing. Oh, I'd like to see that. But because you've got Christ in there and the Holy Spirit, he says, oh, you ought not see that. And you submit to the Lord. Because you're no longer in the flesh, now you're in the Spirit. You're living in the Spirit now before you were living in the flesh. <laughs> but now you're living in the Spirit. It's a different life. <laughs> now the flesh is still with you, and that's why every now and then it goes, oh. Then the Holy Spirit goes, <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, Lord, I get that. Amen? And you need that because you need Him to help you every day of your life. Hatred, variance, emulations. Emulations. How many of your computer are nuts here? You guys know what an emulator is? What's an emulator? An emulator is something that mimics something else. You know, it's one thing today, especially with our young people, they take on the characteristics of this world. They emulate because it sounds cool. Emulation is, a, is actually a work of your flesh. The Lord delivers you from that. It says murders, drunkenness. Drunkenness is a work of your flesh. There's no, there's no moderate drinking. There is no such thing as Christians have the occasional drink. I had someone that come to our church one time. He says, you know, Pastor, just want to let you know I, I have the occasional beer. As if I'm supposed to say, oh, well, you know, that's okay. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have told me that because this is what I'm going to tell you. You ought not have the occasional beer. It's not right. Drunkenness is a work of your flesh. So where before you maybe didn't have a choice in your flesh before Christ has come into your heart, where, you know, in the flesh you drank, you smoked pot, you did this, you did that, you messed up your head any way you possibly wanted to because that's what the flesh wanted. But now you're born again. You're no longer in the flesh, you're in the spirit. You're living in the Spirit. And the Bible says if you live in the Spirit, then you should walk in the Spirit. Walking is a decision you make according to that power that's in you, according to that conviction that's in you. So you can actually live in the Spirit and still sometimes walk after the flesh. And that's why we need to make good decisions. Amen? It says, revelings and such like of the which I told you before, and I've told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So basically, what he's giving you in this passage is a list of characteristics of a lost man, of a lost person. You say, yeah, but pastor, you know, I've had a desire for, or I hated somebody, or I did want to watch that movie about witchcraft, or I, I did... I did envy that person, and there was a person there. I hated him so much, I, I, I wished that he was dead. But you understand something in this passage is they which do such things. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about expressing an action as continued or not yet completed. What one does repeatedly, continually, or habitually. You will always battle with the temptation to do something stupid. 
until Jesus comes. But if you're a child of God, you will never habitually be involved in these things. Because you can't. For two reasons. First reason is, you're, you've got a new father. And he's a good father. And when he sees you do such things, he comes down and he whoops you. Like good fathers do. Amen? He disciplines you. He corrects you. Now, if you're not being corrected, that's because he's not your father. He doesn't discipline the devil's kids. He disciplines his own kids. So if you're born again, he will discipline you. And not only that, you've got his spirit in you convicting you. You feel bad when you even think something. Oh, I'd like to see that movie. Oh, man, I shouldn't do it. I'm a child of God, man. You ever been there? No, no, not me. I'm Mr. Perfect. You're a sinner. And you have the flesh still with you. The only difference is you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. But the devil is always trying to get you to walk after that flesh, even though you're not in it. Amen? That's the difference. So when he says this, you're being delivered. That's what you're delivered from. That is such a blessing. You know, before I was saved, the things that I did, I, like, I'd look around and wonder, what's the big deal? I mean, then I'd see people getting all bent out of shape because of this. I was, what's the big deal? But as soon as I got saved, it's like, oh, that's the big deal. That's why that person didn't want to do that. That's why they had to stop coming there. That's why they didn't want to go to that party that night. That's why this, that's why that. Because Christ changes your heart. We're delivered. We're also delivered to serve in newness of spirit. Verse 6, it says, Now we're delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit. The Lord wants to deliver us from the law so that we will be servants in spirit. Now, I know somebody that if they will put their focus on the law, they got a different spirit about them. I remember one guy, he was in Bible college, and his attitude was always, they should die. I'm <laughs> just okay. See, that's a law-based mentality. Of course, we all should die. Not just that person. And he would talk about homosexuality. They should all die. I just said, okay. Now, that may be true, but let's add to that. All adulterers should die. And anybody that ever tells a lie should die. We should all die. See, there's a certain spirit you get when you're delivered from the law. And that spirit has so many things involved with that. It's not like you're compromised. It's not like you're saying it's not important. And we've been talking about the, the law. We, we know it's important because it's, a, it's establishing that standard of truth. And we know adultery is adultery. And we know that lying is lying and killing is killing and so forth. And, he, and it gives that baseline to us. But folks, when you're a child of God, what you begin to understand is the need for forgiveness and the need for mercy and the need for humility and sometimes the need for time. The, the, the time a person needs to get from here to there. You know, 
Every person that walks in that room is here. Now, I look at that person and say, this is where they are. Now, where do I want them to be? Over here. This is, this is how a Christian thinks. This isn't like, I'm condemning you for where you are. The, the, when I'm serving with a new spirit, I'm saying, I want you to go from here to here. But a law-based person, all they do is they focus on the failure of being here. You understand that? And you've got to get out of that mindset. You're going to have people coming in not dressed right, not smelling right, not acting right, not speaking right. So what do you want to do? Shall we condemn them? Well, if they're saved, they're not ever going to be condemned. <laughs> if they're not saved, I want them to be delivered from that condemnation. So it's not about condemnation. I want them, I want them to experience deliverance. Now, with that deliverance will come change. <laughs> but this is where forbearance and forgiveness and patience and time and all those things come into the equation as a Christian looks at somebody. Not only at people, but at ourselves. That's why we put up with a lot of things. It's a different spirit. So I say, when somebody says, oh, they should just die. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, how do I get through to a guy like that? Your spirit, are you saved? Because have you ever seen that you are just as despicable as the worst sinner on this planet? Have you seen yourself there? Do you know that if Jesus would have to come to earth to die and you were the only one that needed to be redeemed, that he would have no less pain and suffering and death and loneliness and betrayal and all those things if it was just for you that he died? Thinking that somehow he wouldn't have to suffer as much for me. No, as much. As much as Hitler or anybody on the face of the planet, the worst person you can think of, you are just as despicable in your sin. So when you get saved, he says, now I want you to serve with newness of spirit. Because your spirit, which was once dead, which was disconnected from God, has now been regenerated and the life of God has been placed in you and the way you look at others is the way that Jesus looks at others. And sometimes he does say, you whited sepulcher. But other times he says, go and sin no more. Amen? He wants a different kind of servant than that. He doesn't want somebody just looks, oh, what's wrong with them? They're bad. <laughs> You're bad too. We are all bad. We just need to see this person for where they are. Are they saved? If they're saved, let's give them the patience. Let, let's set a goal for them. Let's get them over here. And let's do everything we can to get them over there. Now, they may not want to. And they'll be out that door or whatever they do. That's up to them. <laughs> but our goal, take it from here to there. If they're lost, we want to remove the condemnation. We don't want them to die in that state. Amen. 
a newness of spirit, different, you know, not this self-righteous, judgmental attitude towards people. I understand we have to judge, but we judge all things, not necessarily all people. Sometimes we have to judge the things that they do, but I don't judge the people. That's God's judgment. Amen. So to be delivered, I got a lot of scripture here. I won't have time to go there. Um, The law cannot bring forth inner change. The law can't change your heart. Only Christ can change your heart. And I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, it really talks about the ministration of the law and the ministration of glory uh, and righteousness, which is being changed in the Lord Jesus Christ, being converted to his image. And I encourage you to read that. I still don't have time to go there today. But I'll read you a couple of passages here. Hebrews 9.14 says this, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, the problem is you've got a conscience problem. <laughs> so you remember before I was saved, I would look and say, what's the big deal? I mean, come on. Why don't you want to go here with me? Why don't you want to spend time here? Why, you know, because I don't get it. But the moment I'm saved, also my conscience has been purged. And all of a sudden my eyes are opened up. Oh, yeah, that's bad. That's not so good. Why in the world was I doing that? Because your conscience has been cleaned. See, the conscience is very important in relation to what I'm talking about today, especially within the instruction of the law. And I want to read this to you in verse number 7. It says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So the law revealed coveting things outwardly is actually lusting inwardly. And so my conscience now, because God told me thou shalt not covet, all of a sudden my conscience has been adjusted. See, that's why they're trying to get the law out of all this. I'm not a law-based person where I think you've got to have the Ten Commandments hanging in your, your kitchen. And you know what? They have courtrooms. They have the Ten Commandments and so forth. And I see the value of that. Now, some people, they look at it differently. They think somehow if we keep these things, we're going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need the baseline. (laughs) That's what the law is. That's what the moral law is. And so I know why the devil wants to remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouses. Because when a person reads... The words of God immediately, their conscience has allowed light in and it begins to form itself around those words. And as long as God's words can be kept from your heart and mind, your conscience does not change. See, your conscience cannot become your guide, but it's there for a reason. Your conscience is something that throughout your life has been developed by what you've been taught. I mean, you could be a Satanist, and you could have your conscience molded to a Satanist type of morality. And then the law would come in. Thou shalt not. And all of a sudden I'm being challenged as to the shape my conscience has taken throughout my whole life, given to me by my parents, TV, the world, or whatever. 
And now it's telling me, thou shalt not covet. So it's challenging it. And that's why the devil hates it. He doesn't want our conscience changed. He wants to mold it into the worldly philosophies that are out there. And that's what, what's happening today. With all the uh, things that are going on, what I hear is this. These are Canadian values. You ever hear that before? These are the values of Canadians. So what's happening is, with the whole gender fluidity, the whole woke thing, they're saying now, they're trying to get you to wrap your conscience around a value system that encapsulates all of Canada. And so if I would have the Ten Commandments there, it would challenge that. So when you get saved, it really messes up that whole thing that the devil's been doing in your life. All of a sudden, the blood is applied. It's like, bam! I've admitted I'm a sinner. I've admitted I I deserve to die for my sin. And now the blood has been brought to my heart and all these things. See, the Lord didn't require me to figure all that out beforehand. But he says, after you're saved, get ready for some real shockers. Because you're going to look at your life and say, man, I am corrupt. (laughs) And I've been corrupt. Because he purges it. Amen? So what happens here? Verse 8, it says, Sin, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin is dead. (laughs) So I call this sin is activated by the commandment. Sin is activated. So you think, well, why would God want to activate my sin? Well, it's not so much God activating it as much as your sin responding to it. The sin in you responds to the law. (laughs) There's a a, uh, relationship that's taking place here, and there's some things that are happening because the law has been introduced to you, and your sin now has been activated. Notice what it says. It says, taking occasion. So it says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment. So it's almost like this sin has a life of its own. And that taking occasion means to actively take. So the sin actively takes advantage of the situation when the law comes in. All right? So it's responding to it. Every man has a conscience that if formed by his particular set of principles and truths that have been taught and learned, all of you, the law intrudes on these principles and presents a principle that is divine. Depending on what state your soul is in, you may react one of two ways. You may, like a rebellious soul, will seek ways to attack that principle and go against it. Or if you're saved and submitted, you will allow this divine principle to mold your conscience into a new direction. So every time the law is brought in, sin responds. Sin responds. I want to show this to you here. 
In 1 Timothy 4, 2, it says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So because they've given themselves to an opposite truth of Scripture, that conscience has become seared. It's like taking a hot iron, and like they used to do in the old days when you had an arrow, you know, shot at you, they'd pull out the arrow and they'd put the hot iron there to cauterize that wound, and that, that would constantly be a scar, and you would kill the nerves around there. You would no longer have feeling. It'd be a numb spot because you've just burned all those nerve endings. So when you give yourself to lies long enough, your conscience becomes like a dead nerve. And their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. In 1 Timothy 1.3 it says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus and went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul made a big deal about doctrine. <laughs> What's a big deal about doctrine? <laughs> well, if divine principle is going to mold your conscience, then I'm going to tell you something. Your preacher ought to be very protective of the type of doctrine that you as a congregation are giving yourselves to. So these ideas, if you come in here and thinking you can just teach whatever you want, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. This preacher don't abide by that. And you'll begin not to like me very much. Because the Bible says an heretic, after the first or second admonition, reject. <laughs> that means I'll come to you two times. If I've got to come to you the third, you're gone. God's giving you an opportunity to change. <laughs> Why would I do that? Because the Apostle Paul said, Yet Thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Oh, that's pretty narrow, Paul. What else does he say here? Neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. <laughs> One of these crazy things is a flat earth thing. Please don't talk about flat earth in this building, around any of these people, because I will talk to you. Now, you can believe there's a flat earth. You can believe there's a triangle earth. I don't care what you believe about the earth. But this is the fact of the matter is, what you're doing is you're distracting God's people. And it's a ploy of Satan to mess with people in God's house. You would do a lot better talking about how we can walk with God in a closer way. Flat earth means nothing. In the rapture, we'll all see. And really, that's all you need to know. It's really not that important. <laughs> Amen. It says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. So what he's saying is this. I want no other doctrine because if we get the right commands to these people, they will have a good conscience. They'll have an unhypocritical faith. So if you don't have a preacher that, that is guarding the local church, that doesn't care what goes on, that is a preacher that is not in the line of the Apostle Paul. He was very concerned. Folks, I probably know about most of the stuff that goes around in this church because people usually tell me at some point or another. And if I haven't done the first or second admonition, just 
praise God and change before I have to. Because I'm not going to let it happen. I'm looking at these young kids. I don't want them perverted by your junk. So if you want to you spread junk, find a place to do it. But you're not going to do it here. And you can be very embarrassed when I have to deal with it. And I usually bring the men in on it too. Because I need someone to back me up. <laughs> Amen. That's what I like about our men. I call them men's meeting. We're all in agreement on this stuff. So please, don't be foolish. If you don't know some doctrine, you've got some wild doctrine, well, I believe this and the rest of these people don't. Chances are you're the one that's wrong. Chances are. <laughs> Amen. But no, no, that's my thing. Well, don't be so proud about those little things. You're probably missing something very important in your life. So he says, pure heart, good conscience, faith unfeigned, which some have swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling. People just talking all kinds of nonsense. See, that's what I don't want to happen with you people. Somebody comes along and they got this idea of flat earth, they got this idea of this that means nothing for the Christian life, and it's just vain janglings. But it's amazing that those vain janglings help people swerve aside. We got people that I knew from my home church. They were always solid. Now all of a sudden they're flat earth. And it's amazing. They're not involved anymore. They're, they're off on their own thing. Say, so what's going on? What's going on? They fell into this trap. Don't fall into these stupid traps. Amen? There's nothing new under the sun where somebody's going, oh, I'm going to tell you something you didn't know. <laughs> if it's something new, it's probably wrong. Amen? Desiring to be teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. That's another thing. Because you know what? They want to teach you. They want to be, puff themselves up. I'm a teacher. And I'm going to teach you something. Folks, I'm going to tell you something about teachers in this church. If there is a teacher in this church, it's because this church as a whole sees them as a teacher. There's no self-appointed teachers in this church. Well, I'm called of God. Then why are you here? Because I don't, I, God didn't tell me about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's amazing what happens sometimes. People who desire to be teachers, so they come into a church house and they begin to spread their ideology. And they cause people to swerve aside because that... Their ideas are messing with the conscience. Amen? For we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So the law is given to people that are not born again, that are not living the Christian life, that need to understand how their sin is impacting their life. That is what the law is for. 
according to the glorious gospel of our blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So, what happens is, is you respond to the law. There was this restaurant that was built right on the edge of the lake. I mean, you look right over that balcony, and the lake is right there. No land, straight to the lake. On each one of the balconies, they put this sign, no fishing from the balcony. Now, the problem is they had a restaurant on the first floor. And that restaurant, because of the view, it was just all glass. So what would happen is people would fish off of the balcony. And they'd use heavy weights because they want to get their line down there. So when they threw in their line, it would swing. They would misjudge their depth. And it would smack that window and keep breaking their window. Now they solved the problem. How did they solve it? They removed the sign. <laughs> so they took the sign off the balcony and said, now it's no longer don't fish. It, it didn't even enter into their brains. Now they would sit at the balcony and enjoy the weather like most people do. But the moment they saw the sign, don't fish from the oh, we can fish from the balcony. Isn't that the same way it is with kids? You know, they haven't learned about obedience and disobedience, but, you know, I mean, they're naturally sinners. You know that, right? <laughs> but you tell them, don't touch that. Now, your kids immediately, oh, well, never. I would, just because you said that, I'll never do that. No, I'll tell you, I, you know how many kids I've tried this with? Don't touch that. They look at you. Try with some kids here. <laughs> Ever seen a kid do that? Oh, you're just fuming already. You're just ready to swat them, you know. And sure enough, they touch it. The, you know what? They really desire to touch it because you told them not to. The law activates sin. It activates sin. It's what it does. Don't touch that. <laughs> you do that one more time. <laughs> oh, you can be sure they will do it one more time. Just because you told them if you do that one more time. I always tell our parents, it says, when you discipline kids, you tell them what the right thing is and you say, don't do that. Then if they do that, you never say do that one more time. Because they'll have you figured out in no time. They know how many more times they got. And unfortunately, with a lot of parents, that goes on forever. Who was telling me about this? Somebody saw in town recently. Was that you, Madeline? Saw this mother. trying to, The kid was disobeying. She was on her phone. Stop doing that. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. Didn't I tell you stop that? <laughs> you know, so engulfed in that phone. Just kept them, stop, stop. Do you really think that kid's going to stop? You tell them one time, and they should know that if they do it one time, the hammer comes down. There's never a second, third chance. I mean, if they, they didn't know that they weren't supposed to do it, then you need to be teach them. But if you've already taught them, you start going through this thing about, oh, another chance, another chance. You do that one more time, one more time. You're not training your kids well. 
and not. In fact, they're training you. They're training you. Law triggers rebellion. Why would God want to do that? Because he's exposing it. You know, you have a home where there's no law. You think, oh, they got great kids. Not necessarily. That's why many times pastors' homes, fundamental Christian homes, they usually have a rebel. Why is that? When does a rebel get exposed? <laughs> when you put out the sign. So a lot of people say, well, my kids aren't like it. Have you ever put out a sign? Have you ever said, this isn't allowed here? Have you ever told them you can't have that music in the home? Have you ever told them there's no drinking in this family? Have you ever told them there's no vaping or smoking or all these ungodly things? Have you put your foot down and, says, and put out the sign that says no? Well, if you don't, your child could be as rebellious as a day is long and you'll never know it. Doesn't make them right. It just means they're not exposed. So the law exposes it. That's not a bad thing. Because once it's exposed, it can be dealt with. But if it's hidden, it can't. So you have to put out the rules, folks. You've got to have a home that has rules, and this is what we do and what we don't do. And a lot of parents say that. But if I do that, I may lose my kid. What are you saying? You're saying that the law will activate their sin to such a point that they are going to leave my home. Wow. So you would rather have that sin in your home than outside of your home. Amen? I'm not talking about sinners. I mean, they're all sinners. (laughs) Every last one of them. But there are sinners that submit to the authority and then there are sinners that don't. And that's what the law will reveal. Bible says in Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. So God is requiring you to put out that law. God is requiring you to discipline when that law is broken. Because when you do it as a child, then it drives it from their heart. But if you never deal with it, then they grow up into adults that become rebels and hurt people and sin and go against authority and the law of the land and so forth and get in trouble and get tickets and get charges and end up in jail sometimes because I wasn't dealing with the sin in the heart when they were a child. Amen? Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So you never leave your child to themselves. Are you guys with me on this? You didn't shut me off with that, did you? He's talking about her kids, let's shut off. <laughs> no. So sin is activated. Sin is also increased by the commandment. Notice what it says here, by taking occasion by the commandment, Rot in me all manner of concupiscence. So rot means to carry out a task. Sin carries out a task in you to actually increase the amount of lust in your heart in response to the law. 
Interesting. Concupiscence means a strong desire and longing. A strong desire and longing. So sin's task to complete is to increase your longings and desires. It has its eyes set on accomplishing that task. That's why many times when you, you have children in church that will not submit to being saved or will not submit to the things of God, when they're given so much law and truth and commandments, that rebellion in them causes that sin to grow in such a way where they act worse than a lost person. Worse than someone that doesn't go to church. And sometimes it makes you marvel. You say, how in the world can this happen? They've been in church. See, they've been approached with a law so and so much that the sin was activated and then that sin increased the lust in their heart because they would not bring it to Christ. So they end up behaving worse than the people you know that are lost. And it causes you to shake your head and what in the world is this? The Bible tells us what it is. It's what happens when someone that gets truth doesn't submit the truth. It just keeps feeding the sin and making it stronger. You ever seen a lost family? Seems like they get along okay. But you see in a family that's going to church <laughs> and one kid or two kids, whatever, that won't submit to the Lord and all of a sudden they're worse than the ones that are lost. And he's got good parents that bring him to church all the time. That's why it is. Because sin gets activated and sin increases as that light has been given. Amen? So the Lord is driving you. I mean, just pushing you with the law. The law just, it, it sets its focus on you. And if you don't submit, you implode. Amen? Sin also deceives. This is what it says in verse 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. <laughs> sin, number one, wants to destroy your life. That's its purpose. Sin just wants to kill you. And that's why he says, by it, slew me. <laughs> that means to kill outright or to put to death. Sin will do that to you. When sin is involved in your life, now, if we don't see it for what it is, sin abuses the goodness of God. Sin abhors God's holiness and vilifies his wisdom. Sin insults and denies his omniscience, his justice, his power. Sin is against God. Any sin in your life is completely against God. And that's why we call it a transgression. A transgression is a word to reveal to us that it is against God. It's against God. But sin doesn't like that when you know that. So sin deceives you. Sin destroys through lies. So what it means here to be deceived, it means to be seduced. 
So sin will just seduce you that it's not so bad. It'll lie to you. So meanwhile, you're involved with something that's going against the very God that gave you breath. <laughs> the very God that gave you a chance to live, that loves you, but that sin deceives you where it allows you to believe that somehow it's not as bad as people make it out to be. And sometimes we buy along with that. We as parents, and <laughs> instead of saying, no, that doesn't belong here. Whatever sin that is, we are against it because it's against God. It's against His holiness. It's a transgression. It's against the Lord. We're, we're not for this. And I understand we're all sinners, but that doesn't mean we love sin. <laughs> Nor does it mean that we're okay with sin. We hate it. And the more that you love God, the more you will hate the false way. Amen? Sin deceives and destroys. Sin says, no one cares what you do. God does. Others do as well. Sin says, everybody else is doing it. Isn't that the first thing with young people? When I tell my kids sometimes, oh, you can't do that. Well, they're doing it. Almost seems like the first thing out of their mouth sometimes. So they're following someone else's example. Well, why are they doing it then? <laughs> now they want me to say that this person's wrong, right? I would just say, if they're going to jump off a bridge, would you do that? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> You've heard that one before. <laughs> well, I'll say it doesn't matter what they do. Just because they do it doesn't make it right. So what we do is we judge for our own family. <laughs> well, they're going to make fun of me. They're going to think, they're going to start picking apart my life and picking apart everything else. And that's what people do. You make a stand on something, you say, I can't do this. And they'll say, well, what about this? What about that? And they start picking apart every part of your life. Then I would say, well, then let's fix that too. And then you fix it with me. Oh, that's not what I said. I just want to get at you. Yeah, it's because you're not righteous. And you're wicked in your heart. You understand that? Everyone is doing it. No, they're not all doing it. There's a lot of good young people, guys that are do good things, that live righteously. There's a lot of young people these days that are not being immoral before marriage. You know, it was when I grew up, it was almost like you were treated like there was something wrong with you if you weren't immoral before marriage. And what I want to do with our church is to understand there's something wrong with you if you are immoral before marriage. Something wrong with you. Sin. But sin has deceived you. Well, everybody else, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're, you're concerned about sin and how it, how it relates to God. Sin says, I can handle it. Oh, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> you can't handle it. And just like I said, sin doesn't stay stagnant, it increases. So when you give yourself to it, it's going to become harder and harder and harder. I can take a drink and it doesn't bother me. You know how many alcoholics I've told that I've talked to says, oh, I can quit anytime. And they can't. Like I said, you know, it's like being tied to a to a pole in the ground with a chain. As long as you're by the pole, it seems like you're free. The moment you try getting away from it, all of a sudden, oh, I didn't realize it. 
So anybody that's drinking alcohol can say, oh, I can quit any time. Well, then show me. Walk away. No, they can't. Because sin gets a hold on you. Sin wants to deceive you. Sin wants to kill you. Amen? Sin says you won't get caught. You ever wonder these people? Now, I, 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 I mean, people talk about these criminal minds and masterminds. They're all stupid because they always get caught. Folks, you cannot get away with it. Now, maybe the police won't catch you, but you know what? God's already caught you. You keep hiding that sin, guys. One day it's going to be exposed. Moses wrote, be sure your sin will find you out. God is so good to you that he's not going to let you continue in that sin behind closed doors. One day you're going to slip up. One day something's going to be left on. One day someone's going to walk in. One day something's going to happen where it's all going to be exposed. So stop it. Don't, get, don't deal with it like that. You know God doesn't want you to do it already. You know that's not according to the word of God. Forget the lies that you're not going to get caught and realize you will get caught. You are going to get caught sooner or later. It's going to hurt when you do get caught. Look at Achan. Achan took of the Babylonian garments. He took of the gold and silver of Jericho. When God said, that's all mine, you don't take any of it. Yet God knew that it was buried in his tent. And you know what Joshua did? God says, go find it out. This is why you're being destroyed in AI. <laughs> this is why you don't have victory, because there's hidden sin in your life. So Joshua casts lots upon the families and slowly zeroes in on Achan's family and zeroes in right to Achan. How many steps did it take to zero in on Achan? Every one of those lots, Achan could have said, hey, just stop this. It was me. But he waited, and he waited. It got closer, and it got closer, and it got closer until there was no way he could defend himself because the lot <coughs> landed right on him. Then it was, oh, I've sinned. <laughs> and then God's answer was, stone him to death. Do you understand if you're always the kind of person that has to be driven into the corner to confess your sin, no one will ever trust you and you'll be worth nothing to anybody. Because they will never know whether you truly are being honest or not. But if you will confess and you will deal with it before you have to, before you're driven in the corner, then there's something to salvage. I always thought, God, why are you so mean? Why would you kill Achan like that? God says, because he's no use to them anymore. I gave them chance after chance after chance. I could have just, I knew his name. I could have just called that out to Joshua, go kill Achan. But I didn't. I let them cast lots. Because I wanted Achan to have the chance to confess before he had to. Do you get that? If you're a Christian that's always got to be put in the corner 
before you confess. You've got to be caught red-handed, otherwise you'll lie through your teeth about it. You will never be used by God. You'll never be profitable. So get it right. You know how you do that this morning? The law, commandment, all of a sudden there's that sin. Can I tell you something? That sin has been activated this morning. You see it as plain as day. If you will not deal with that and get it under the blood of Jesus, it's going to increase. And you'll begin to be more lustful in that area. Don't do it. Confess it today. That's how the law interacts with sin. That's powerful. And it's useful. And the law is good and it's just. And it's there to lead you to the one that can save you. Amen? It has to expose it first. And if you're not willing to admit it before the Lord that you're a sinner, then all you're doing is driving yourself into that rebellious state. I encourage you, humble your heart. If there's a sin in your life today, confess it. You don't have to come to me. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> confess it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I've been doing this behind closed doors. I've been sinning against you. I've transgressed you. I've gone against you, God. And I admit it. And I'm getting it right. <laughs> if you're lost here today, what that law has done is caused you to see the hopelessness of your state. And it's driving you to the one that can save your soul, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved here, please get saved. Please come forward and get it settled once and for all. If you're a Christian here today, the law has activated something. Oh, man, yeah, I've been watching that wrong. I shouldn't be watching those kind of movies. See, the command just revealed to you witchcraft. It revealed to you envy. All these things that are still within you as a believer. But you got to walk in the Spirit. Amen? And the Spirit of God is speaking to you.